the four most powerful words uttered in a democracy are the people have spoken. Therefore, we must ensure that all of the people can speak. Working on it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe for you every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, <clears throat> and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. <clears throat> Desi Doyen, one of those days where I'm just trying to keep up with it all, I trying know. to figure out uh, what needs to be covered, what needs to be thrown over the side. We've got sort of a grab bag of stuff that I would like to get to today, things I would like you to know about. <clears throat> so we'll see how much of it I actually can get to. We'll find out. It'll be a uh, it'll be fun for all of us Exciting. to discover as we go. <laughs> so let's uh, <clears throat> let's start here. Uh, Ohio's Republican Attorney General David Yost on Wednesday sued the Joe Biden administration, asking a federal judge to block a provision of the one point nine trillion dollar stimulus bill. The American Rescue Plan, which was passed and signed last week and gives, among other things, uh, $350 billion to states and cities who saw their income revenue just crushed over the uh, over the past year due to the out of control covid pandemic, which then Republican President Donald Trump encouraged to run out of control. That bill passed last week, of course, with zero Republican votes. Now, Republicans had previously blocked federal funding to states, um, uh, you know, in in their uh, at least in their uh, December uh, relief bill under the premise that it was nothing more than a blue state bailout. Remember that if we give money to states, it'll be a blue state bailout. In right. fact, which is, of course, bogus. Well, it is. In fact, the money uh, will go to all 50 states, all 50 of which at this point Need it pretty badly. But Ohio's attorney general is looking a gift horse in the mouth, it seems. Yes, he still wants the free money from the federal government. 
but he believes there should be no strings attached to it whatsoever. Specifically, he is suing to block the provision which bans states from using this federal aid in order to finance tax cuts on the state and local level. Hey, federal government, uh, give us that free money so we can lower taxes, even as the lack of income tax base is why we need the federal money in the first place. Give us this money so we can give it to rich people. There you go. But Yost was uh, just getting a jump, apparently, on his fellow state uh, AGs. His suit comes one day after 21 of his fellow Republican state attorney general sent a letter to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen with an ultimatum if she does not issue guidance allowing them to proceed to use federal dollars to finance state tax cuts by next week. They will, quote, take appropriate additional action to ensure their freedom to enact, quote, tax relief. But the uh, Ohio attorney general got ahead of the group in filing his lawsuit, seeking an expedited court ruling right now that the federal government has overstepped in imposing conditions on the five point five billion, apparently, that has been appropriated to Ohio in this case by Congress, again, with zero Republican votes. If Ohio accepts that money. Yost, the lawsuit reads, uh, it will have to accept the conditions that come with it. He described those conditions as coercive and likening the situation to, quote, a gun to the head. <laughs> Good Lord. What a drama queen. Yost describes this uh, in the lawsuit as a, quote, tax mandate, saying that it's unconstitutional and draconian because it would constitute an invasion of the federal government on states' sovereign right to lower taxes. The case reads that the tax mandate thus gives the state a choice. They can either have the badly needed federal funds or the sovereign authority to set state tax policy, but they cannot have it both. In our current economic crisis, that, he says, is no choice at all. It is a metaphorical gun to the head. Again, this after months of Republicans saying that no money whatsoever should go to any states at all because it would be little more than a so-called blue state bailout. Even apparently, I guess, in the currently red state of Ohio. Of course, none of these red states, to my knowledge, have yet to say that they don't want or need the money. They just want to be able to use it to replace state taxes, I guess. In fact, Ohio lost $1.1 billion in tax revenues during the pandemic. And yet, by the way, they're being given $5.5 billion to replace it. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. So is lowering taxes actually a good idea? Frankly, I don't know. And I guess the Republicans' stolen and packed U.S. Supreme Court will ultimately have the say in this lawsuit if it moves forward. But as this is about to become a thing, uh, I thought I would share some of this information and, and some of the context on all of it before the wingnut gaslighting begins to take hold, because you know that it will. It's not going to just be Ohio. It's going to be these other 20 or so Republican-run states that are going to make the same case. 
So, you know, particularly in the wake of this so-called blue state bailout meme that uh, that they had previously gaslighted Americans with over the past year under the premise that Democratic run states needed money because they ran their states so poorly during the pandemic. So to give you some context here again, before this all takes hold. So you have something to uh, respond to your, you know, your your wingnut father in law with. Uh, states run by Republicans are far more dependent upon the help of the federal government than their Democratic-run counterpoints, counterparts. That is based on uh, the latest annual study that is out just yesterday from the financial website WalletHub.com. Here's the overview from the WalletHub editors. They say federal assistance to states has come into the spotlight recently during the coronavirus pandemic where some states have received far more money per case than others. For example, in the initial $150 billion that was given to states from the first stimulus package last year, that was allocated by population. In that case, Democratic-leaning New York got less than $24,000 per positive case while Republican-leaning Alaska received over $3.3 million per case. And yet the Republicans are complaining here. While the second stimulus package passed in December did not include any direct assistance to states, the government still faces questions about whether its initial distribution was truly equitable and efficient and whether any future aid will be as well. For years, WalletHub writes, Americans have looked at federal assistance programs with growing scrutiny and the number of people dependent on government assistance was de decreasing prior to the coronavirus crisis. Regardless, however, of overall trends, it is clear that some states receive a far higher return on their federal income tax contributions than others. The WalletHub rankings, and they rank all 50 states, are based upon three major metrics. They look at return on taxes paid to the federal government, the share of federal jobs that each state has, and federal funding as a share of overall state revenue. Well, in the ranking of 50 states, the uh, financial website listed 11 red states among the 12 most dependent upon Washington, D.C., are you surprised? 11 of the top 12 most dependent are Republican-controlled states. In fact, no fewer than 19 of the 25 of the most dependent states were Republican-dominated. Shocking, ain't it? Not really. And I bet you if you look at a map that shows the geographical distribution, it will track very closely with the states that fought to attack the U.S. government in the Civil War. <laughs> you're, I think you're absolutely right there. Uh, and conversely, by the way, 12 of the 14 states that are least dependent on the federal government were, yes, run by Democrats. The site observes that blue states are less dependent on federal government than red states. The findings directly contradict the talking points of right-wing politicians and commentators like Sean Hannity and the other right-wing Fox Newsers and their brain-poisoned followers. 
who continually claim that Democrat-run states are mismanaged and in need of a financial bailout. The blue state bailouts. A great example, uh, cites uh, Ray Hartman over at uh, Raw Story today, is Tennessee. Tennessee is the 14th most dependent state overall when factoring in both uh, state residents' dependency and state government's dependency. When it comes to state government dependency, Tennessee is actually the ninth most dependent state government in the nation. But that didn't stop the state's Republican governor, Bill Lee, and Senator, their Senator, Marsha Blackburn, from whining in a Fox News opinion piece about their state, quote, being on the losing end of the deal in the $1.9 trillion COVID bill that Blackburn voted against. They falsely allege, for purely partisan reasons, this bill uses unemployment numbers to determine final state payouts and rewards uh, failing blue states uh, with the tax dollars of red states whose jobless rates didn't spike as dramatically. Under this formula, our home state of Tennessee will lose $164 million. Now, the word lose is doing quite a bit of imaginary work there. <laughs> Uh, Meanwhile, they note New York, New Jersey and California will walk away with a combined gain of almost nine billion dollars. Oh, the horror, quips Hartman, uh, that the 26th, 49th and 38th most federally dependent uh, states uh, are coming out better on the covid bill because the pandemic has caused higher unemployment problems in those states because they are more population dense states that he notes is too close to a scientific explanation for GOP minds So the folks from Tennessee chalked up their lower unemployment rates to having implemented fewer health restrictions. Oh, that's what it was. When, in fact, it's due to the fact that their state is much less densely populated. I suspect we will be seeing uh, much more of this as the Republicans try to find something, try to find anything with which to uh, look their $350 billion federal gift horse in the mouth. But at least now, now you are armed with some information to counter it when it comes from your Fox-loving father-in-law. Yes, overall, blue states are much less dependent on the federal government than red states. Period. So blue state tax dollars go to red states overall. It is not the other way around. No matter how much your red state father-in-law believes (laughs) that his tax dollars are being sucked up by all the blue states, he is just wrong. Go figure. Go figure, Desi Doyen. Uh, it may uh, it may be too early to know for sure, of course, but uh, after Joe Biden narrowly won the state of Arizona last November, the first time a Democrat has won the state at the presidential level since 1996, and now that they have two Democratic U.S. senators in Arizona, well, it is unclear if we should start thinking about the Grand Canyon state as a blue state now think that might be too early, given that it still has a Republican governor, it still has a GOP-controlled legislature, though that majority is getting kind of slim in the legislature. And, of course, as it does, its state Republican Party is lurching more and more to the radical right. So uh, given the chair of the uh, Arizona state GOP, Kelly Ward, 
Remember her? She released the that. Remember that insane? Oh yeah, that uh, weird stop nightmare. Stop the steal conspiracy video yes. that she, we played last year. Uh, that she put out. Well, it's unclear how the how the state's moderate Republican voters will want to vote. Uh, in the years ahead. So, you know, maybe we're, we're safe for calling Arizona at this point purple. Uh, but for now, the uh, the state, uh, Arizona state, is uh, is paying a price. The Republican Arizona party is paying a price, at least in court, for their radical lurch to the right, uh, albeit not a yet a huge price. But that could grow in the days ahead. The Arizona Republican Party and its lawyers must now pay $18,000 in attorney's fees that state taxpayers were forced to pick up last year to defend government officials against one of the party's failed lawsuits challenging President Joe Biden's victory in the state, a judge has now ruled. So for all of the complaints, by the way, of Republicans in these so-called red states, oh, our tax dollars are going to blue states, they don't mind wasting their own state taxpayer dollars on frivolous lawsuits, apparently. Of course not. They never have. In his, uh, in his decision... Uh, Judge John Hanna concluded that the state GOP brought a groundless legal claim to court, filed its case for political reasons while claiming that it was just trying to protect election integrity and failed to acknowledge uh, that it sued the wrong government officials. The financial award was made under a law that requires judges to assess attorney's fees against lawyers or legal parties who bring claims to court without substantial justification or just to delay or harass. And when they do, of course, uh, when they bring these suits against, um, you know, uh, state entities and county entities and so forth, those states and County entities have to hire attorneys to respond to the lawsuits. Well, now the state Arizona party uh, is getting dinged for it with sanctions. Writing about the case today at Bradblog.com, our legal analyst Ernie Canning writes that uh, when it was first filed on November 12 last year, the case looked like a relatively insignificant one. Just one of 64 Frivolous cases in which former President Trump and his right wing allies suffered swift and humiliating losses in both state and federal courts. Indeed, this particular case was so weak and so trivial that just six days after the case had been filed, Judge John Hanna granted the motions to dismiss that were filed by Maricopa County. That's Phoenix and by intervener defendants, including Arizona's Democratic Secretary of State, Katie Hobbs, and the Arizona Democratic Party. However, as a result of subsequent events, including Donald Trump's big lie, uh, which formed the underpinning of the 64 frivolous lawsuits and culminated in the violent January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, and, of course, the introduction of 253 voter suppression laws now, at least that many, by Republicans in 43 state legislatures under the guise of election integrity. Well, now, Ernie argues, this case has become extraordinarily significant uh, upon the uh, uh, judge's 10-page order as he explained in detail why he was imposing monetary sanctions on the Arizona state GOP and its attorneys. The court found that the underlying case was, quote, groundless, uh, 
and there was, quote, no rationale, no rational argument based upon the evidence or the law that could be presented that would have justified the claims made in this ill-fated lawsuit. The court also concluded that the Arizona GOP engaged in, quote, bad faith and, quote, gaslighting. And coming from a judge uh, telling a, a state Republican Party that they are engaging in gaslighting in their lawsuit, uh, that's not good. That is not a good thing. That's kind of a big deal. Where Republicans claim the lawsuit was brought to enhance voter confidence in the presidential election results, the court concluded, in fact, the case was actually filed to, quote, cast false shadows on the election's legitimacy. A, quote, false shadow that the Arizona Republican Party has used to justify its introduction of two dozen voter suppression bills, two dozen in the Grand Canyon State Legislature alone. Under Arizona law, writes Ernie, the court detailed in its sanctions decision, election officials are required to perform risk-limiting audits, or RLAs as they're known, uh, post-election audits of hand-marked paper ballots that are electronically tabulated in order to make sure that the electronic tabulators were counting those ballots correctly. They don't have to count all of the ballots. They just have to count a large enough sample to uh, you know, give a, a, a certain amount of scientific certainty that the voting machine, the, the tabulating computers, actually counted the hand-marked paper ballots as cast by the voters. Uh, the judge said the audit ends with the hand count of the sampled ballots and the electronic tabulation becomes the official count unless the difference between the hand count and the machine count of those same ballots exceeds a designated margin determined in advance by the experts. In this case, the Arizona legislature delegated the authority to determine how these RLAs are conducted to the Arizona Secretary of State. That would be Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, a Democrat. She directed that the RLAs were to be performed at voting centers as opposed to at the precinct level. Now, just to give some explanation for that, uh, if you don't know, many uh, ju jurisdictions around the country, including here now in Los Angeles, which I'm not happy about, but uh, here in Los Angeles and out in Maricopa County, the largest county in, uh, in, uh, in Arizona, uh, they have basically allowed voters to go to any so-called voting center where all of the all of the precincts uh, essentially uh, can be voted. So it doesn't matter what your precinct is. You can go to any old voting center. You'll still vote on your specific precincts ballot. You know, so you can only vote for uh, candidates that you're allowed to vote for in your own precinct. Uh, but you'll do it at a voting center. And then those ballots, when they are audited after the election, well, they can be broken down, separated into precincts, which takes a whole lot of time. Uh, or you can just do an audit of the voting centers themselves and compare the tabulating uh, the, the, the tabulation of the of the ballots at the voting center to the a random sample of uh, ballots that were cast at that voting center. That's how the Secretary of State in Arizona decided to do it. It was left up to her by the Republican uh, legislature, and that's what she decided to, di to, to do. Well, three days before the 
uh, Arizona Republican Party filed their case, the Maricopa County Board of Elections publicly announced that it had completed its RLA, which substantiated the validity of the electronic tally. In fact, the numbers were correct. I have a feeling the Republicans didn't like that. Well, it wasn't just that they didn't like it. Apparently, they pretended not to notice it entirely. (laughs) Oh, boy. Now, in their lawsuit, the Republicans asked the court to order Maricopa County to conduct a second RLA, this time using the precinct level numbers, even though the uh, Republicans did not produce any evidence of fraud or even a hint that errors were made in the voting center RLA. But in dismissing the case, the court not only refused to order that second audit uh, at the precinct level, but also noted that there was no legal basis to issue such an order. Incredibly, despite the fact that the Arizona GOP representatives participated in this uh, RLA last November in Maricopa, both the Republican Party plaintiff and their attorneys denied that they were aware of the Maricopa County RLA results when they filed their lawsuit. Good Lord. They had no idea that it even happened, even though they participated in that audit. You're starting to figure out now why they were dinged with sanctions here. The court uh, charged the Arizona Republican Party with knowledge of the RLA results. They did not specifically rule, the court did not specifically rule that the party and its attorneys deliberately lied about the extent of their knowledge at the time they filed their complaint. But Ernie, Ernie Canning says the court did not have to. As the judge wrote, Perhaps the most telling fact of all is that it is what the plaintiff did after the other parties disclosed in response to the original complaint that the Maricopa County hand count was complete and that it showed the electronic tabulation was flawless. At that point, the plaintiffs who were now couldn't even pretend they didn't know about it because, you know, Maricopa responded and gave them the details. At that point, the judge says the plaintiff could have quietly walked away from the lawsuit and publicized the audit results to reassure the public. Remember, this was all about instilling confidence in the public in the results. Instead, the judge notes it filed its petition to enjoin the election canvas entirely. In other words, to try and prevent the state certification of the state results that were confirmed by the Maricopa County audit. These were uh, the facts that led the court to conclude that the true purpose of the lawsuit was not to ensure public confidence in the results. In fact, to the contrary, the suit was filed as part of a specious GOP effort to undercut the legitimacy of the November 2020 presidential election. So, as you know, the Republicans have decided, uh, with zero evidence to support them, that somehow computerized voting machines and tabulators made by the Dominion Voting Systems Company stole votes from Trump and gave them to Joe Biden. There is zero evidence to support that. And a number of Trump attorneys and friends have now been sued for defamation by the Dominion Voting System Company. But Dominion Voting Systems were used in both Arizona, at least in Maricopa County, 
uh, and in Georgia, both of the states that Republicans lost for the first time in decades. So that is one of the reasons that they seem to be focusing on Dominion in their evidence-free pretend conspiracy. Now, yesterday on the show, we uh, we spoke with election integrity journalist Jenny Cohn. Uh, she uh, about uh, concerns uh, with voting systems that are made by a different company, a company named ESNS, Elections Software and Systems Inc. They are the nation's largest computerized voting and tabulation company. And uh, Jenny uh, had written a story at Who, What, Why about them based on documents that were attained, uh, obtained via public records requests. Now, ESNS, uh, as I say, they're the largest in the company. In the no, country. In, in the country. But Republicans have not called called out ESNS at all for some reason. They are only concerned with Dominion. Dominion, Dominion, Dominion. And yet they have no evidence to actually show in any case that Dominion voting systems were somehow corrupted. You've got this audit in uh, Arizona that the uh, back in November that showed that the machines tabulated the correctly. And in that case, it was hand counted paper ballots. So they hand counted those hand marked paper ballots and found out the machines tabulated them accurately. They did something similar in Georgia, not just in one county, but they did it statewide. And yet they're still sort of just overly concerned <clears throat> with uh, with Dominion voting systems. Nobody actually knows why. At the same time, ESNS was the center of Jenny's new story at Who, What, Why, this bombshell report that we discussed on our previous broadcast about a very serious security hole that was discovered by Texas officials. Texas officials, they found it. They reported it to the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission prior to the election concerning ESNS systems. And it was a security hole that could have left ESNS computerized voting and tabulation systems vulnerable to malware and hacks and everything else in as many as 35 states last year. And yet Republicans seem to keep ignoring ESNS entirely. Now, maybe that's because so many so-called red states use them. I don't know. I'm not casting aspersions on anyone's asparagus here. I'm just <laughs> saying that uh, if they were actually concerned about the voting systems used last year, they might focus on ESNS, but they don't. They're just stuck on uh, Dominion. And they're stuck on places like Arizona. In any event, because after I tweeted, uh, I tweeted out the show last night with Jenny Cohn, uh, a follower responded on Twitter with a link to the Maricopa County Board of Elections website, where it appears that there has been a second audit now. This was uh, on, on January 27. For good measure, apparently, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, in order to, quote, ensure accuracy, the Board of Supervisors voted unanimously to conduct a forensic audit of its Dominion ballot tabulating equipment, the equipment itself, not the results, but an actual look at the hardware and software that was used to tally those results last year. That's great. And that's very unusual to get that. Yes, it is. Not that the GOP is out there lauding it, but 
this is what this happened. This audit is separate from the election results audit itself. So according to the uh, the the Board of Elections, which posted this um, at their site, the audit they describe uh, in their summary is the culmination of a year long effort by Maricopa County to ensure the accuracy of the federally and state certified hardware and software used to count votes. The multi-layered forensic audit is comprised of three separate audits by two independent U.S. Elections Assistance Commission uh, testing laboratories and by a certified public accounting firm. Uh, this was uh, ad- as an added measure of transparency. The board hired the uh, this uh, CPA, this public accounting firm named Barry Dunn, to review county contracts with Dominion Voting Services. That portion of the audit is expected to be completed by the end of March. But the two testing labs, uh, they were hired to analyze election equipment, software and hardware, uh, and the hacking vulnerability to it, to verify that no malicious malware was installed on the voting systems in any way, to test that tabulators were not sending or receiving information over the Internet, and to confirm that no vote switching occurred. And they give the details, uh, you know, of, of how this was done, of the basically the four different the source code tests, the malicious software and hardware tests, uh, the accuracy tests and the uh, network and Internet connectivity tests. And in every case, they found no issues, no issues, no issues, no issues, no issues throughout all of these uh, various tests that they did by these two independent firms that tested these systems separately. That's great news. That is great news. Uh, you know, I have no problem with these post-election audits at all. In fact, I, you know, I do prefer that they were done as publicly as possible as opposed to behind closed doors by these independent testing labs. But listen, the more uh, they look at these systems, the merrier. So far, there are zero reports of problems in Arizona's elections from top to bottom. So few that, in fact, a court has had to slap sanctions on the Arizona Republican Party for lying about them. Despite all of this, however, it has not prevented the Arizona Republicans in the state legislature from filing dozens of voter suppression laws that, according to uh, TPM, uh, now, <laughs> just dozens of states and, and what uh, previously had been a fringe effort to kneecap the state's mail voting system is now apparently an all-consuming flashpoint at the state capitol. Arizona's expanded mail voting system, they write, put the state's election administrators in a good place to prepare for the pandemic last year because mail balloting had already been embraced. By large sections of the Arizona electorate, 80 percent of ballots were cast that way even before the COVID-19 outbreak took hold in Arizona. And the vote by mail system was very popular with Republicans and Democrats alike, at least until Trump's big lie about the election took hold. Now, uh, Tierney Sneed and Matt Shuham over there uh, have been looking at the uh, just the the dozens of of uh, attempts to undermine the voting system. And they say that, thankfully, many of the measures introduced in the Arizona State House that would have made the most sweeping changes to Arizona's elections have been stalling out so far. 
For example, among the proposals that have not moved forward was one that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I think, that would have let the legislature reject the results of an election even after they had been certified by election officials. Remember that one? Oh, yeah. But the proposals that are still alive, they say, uh, would still significantly diminish the ease with which Arizonans can currently vote by mail. Among the most contentious bills still kicking is one that undermines Arizona's permanent mail voting list. That's something that they're trying to do in a number of states. If you're signed up to be a permanent mail voter, they don't want that. They want you to have to actually do it year after year, election after election, request an absentee ballot. This is the third time this bill, uh, which would purge voters from the list if they did not participate in a certain number of elections. It's the third time the bill has been introduced in the state house. And there are indications that it is now getting more buy-in from even mainstream Republicans. Is there such a thing as mainstream Republicans anymore? <laughs> That's anyway, a generous term. Yes, it is. Its supporters were able to uh, flip the vote of a key Republican senator that revived the bill after it had failed last month on the Senate floor. A bill that creates more stringent ID requirements for male voters uh, was also recently approved by the Senate. It is now in the House. In Arizona, rather than using signature verification, voters would have to uh, face a more stringent ID mandate in the mail voting that would require some voters to make paper copies of IDs and send other documents in order to prove their identity. Some voters, certain voters, the proposal is raising a whole host of privacy concerns in addition to the prospect that it's going to make mail voting more cumbersome for voters and administrators alike. And though it hasn't made it yet out of the Senate, voter advocates are also watching uh, legislation that would shorten by five days the window of time in which voters would have to return their mail ballots. In addition to requiring that ballots be postmarked by the Thursday before Election Day. Because why not? Why not? Why not Tuesday or Wednesday or Sunday? Why not I mean, the month before? Exactly. Why not never before? Which I think <laughs> is where all of this is going. Yeah. Uh, despite that, the bill's uh, shortened return window would also undermine efforts to make sure that native voters in far-flung tribal communities uh, have trouble getting their ballots in. As Ernie Canning noted in his coverage of the sanctions uh, against the Arizona Republican Party at Bradblog.com today, the court's observations about GOP gaslighting extend well beyond this one case. He cites Georgia's new Democratic U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock and his eloquent maiden speech delivered on the Senate uh, on uh, in on the Senate floor on Wednesday. Maybe we'll play more of that in the days ahead. But Warnock observed. Republican politicians in Georgia and all across America in their craven lust for power have launched a full-fledged assault on voting rights. They have focused on winning at any cost, even the cost of democracy itself. Do not underestimate what is being done right now. It is now our job to make, you know, to make sure that this does not happen. It will not be easy, especially with a Republican uh, Party that is uh, lurching farther and farther to the right, is even turning against itself. And yes, hopes that all Americans, at least certain blue state Americans, blue county Americans, will have to wait a long time to vote. 
making it as hard as possible. We'll take a quick break and we'll come back with uh, more of this, maybe even a song, now that I think of it. Uh, that's straight ahead on the broadcast. Desi will be singing for you. <laughs> nope. <laughs> straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So, yeah, it's up to all of us right now uh, to save our own democracy. It's going to get, you know, state one state after another. There are going to be especially states like Georgia and Arizona, where they just can't get over the idea that it's moving from a red state to become a blue state and so forth. Uh, but all of these uh, more than 250 measures that have been uh, introduced in state houses around the country by Republicans to try to suppress the vote, all of them, according to a new Brennan Center study, uh, would be almost entirely blocked if H.R. 1, the For the People Act, can somehow pass in the U.S. Senate. It's a massive election uh, reform, campaign reform, ethics reform bill. Uh, it's already passed in the U.S. House, but it could be blocked. It currently will be blocked by a um, by a filibuster in the U.S. Senate unless somehow the filibuster is reformed. In any event, speaking in opposition uh, to this critical bill that would improve election integrity, security, voting rights, access to the polling place. Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene back in the House before they passed it. Uh, well, she's a Republican of Georgia. Her colleagues in the state legislature uh, back back at home have been moving forward all sorts of measures to make voting more difficult and increase the historic length of voting lines once again, because apparently voting was way too easy in 2020 in <laughs> uh, in Georgia, at least according to Georgia Republicans. She gave this reason for opposing the critical H.R. 1 or For the People Act. Mr. Speaker, I rise in opposition to H.R. 1. While we're talking about voter suppression and long lines, I'd like to point out that there's real voter suppression that happens right here in Congress. Many members of Congress have to stand in long lines to enter the chamber, going through metal detectors, emptying our pockets, and being treated very disrespectfully. So that is real voter suppression, and it's a shame that it happens right here on the House floor. Standing in line to vote is not voter suppression. It's just part of the voting process, just like people stand in line to buy groceries at the grocery store. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I yield back. Because, you know, people stand in line to buy groceries at the grocery store, sometimes for three hours, six hours, ten hours. Twelve hours, That's what not? happens in uh, Georgia when you're going to vote, and apparently at the grocery stores that Marjorie Taylor Greene goes to. That's not suppression, but having to not bring a gun into the House floor uh, and, and walk through a uh, metal detector, that's real suppression. Anyway, uh, shortly after the 2004 election... Um, 
writes uh, Matt Searsley. Uh, he says, I woke with the last verse and chorus of this song called Back of the Line, repeating in my mind. Get in line. Stand in line. There's plenty of room at the back of the line. He says, that day I began to compose a historical fiction song starting with the last verse when the lead character is disenfranchised in the 2004 election by long voting lines. The third verse references the harrowing tale told by the late civil rights icon, Congressman John Lewis, when police cracked down on on the Selma blunt, bloody Sunday march in 1965. And the first verse takes place in 1929 at the onset of the Great Depression, when the protagonist is an infant and her mother is unjustly sent to the back of a bread line. He says this song is an homage to everyone who has been unjustly told to get to the back of the line and then told again to fall in line. It honors the vast courage shown by ordinary people in extraordinary times, writes Matt Searsley. He says, I heartily thank Brad Friedman uh, at bradblog.com for his coverage of election integrity fairness. Uh, Election integrity and fairness. This song was surely inspired by his reporting back then. Just like today, he channeled our collective outrage about the intentional use of long lines for voter suppression. In Cleveland in 2004, upon reaching the signing table, Matt writes, anyone mistakenly in the wrong line was then sent to the back of another. Well, if you think mentioning me with a thank you is going to get us somehow to play your song on this show, Matt... Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, Matt goes on to note that now in March of 2021, he says, I dedicate this recording to U.S. Senate passage of of the For the People Act. We must pass this historic voting rights and election integrity legislation and seriously notes, even if it requires eliminating the Jim Crow filibuster. Yes, please. Here's Matt Searsley's Back of the Line. Down the sidewalk in the fall of '29, never saw the tears swell in her mother's eyes when I sent her to the back of the line. Get in line, stand in line. There's plenty of bread at the back of the line. Get in line, stand in line. There's plenty of bread.
on the streets of Selma in the spring of 65. And a friend said she was lucky just to make it out alive. Standing on the bridge is where she learned the sound of the night sticks falling and the tear gas coming down. Way all along the line Get line Stand in line There's plenty of room At the back of the line Get line Stand in line There's plenty of room At the back of the line Plenty of room At the back of the line Some things come in cycles some things never change And some folks say they're different When they're really just the same And when the waters rise You know who's left behind It's hard to run for shelter When you haven't got a dime Staring down at a police line says there's no more great folk and uh, <laughs> protest singers out there. That, that was is, beautiful. Uh, mandolinist and songwriter Matt Searsley. His song, his new song, Back of the Line, just out and available at mattseersley.com. Maybe by the time we're done over the next few years, we can uh, add a fourth verse to that song mm-hmm. uh, about the end of the line uh, in a good way. All right, quick break, and we are back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Told you I had no idea where we were going (laughs) on today's show. Uh, Anyway, uh, great to hear that uh, song from Matt. Calms me down just a little bit. Yes. Hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoy 
our latest Green News report. Tornadoes touched down today in several states, causing some serious damage. U.S. extreme weather whiplash, blizzards in the north, extreme tornado outbreaks in the south. Meanwhile, drought deepens in the western U.S. and Europe, plus... We knew at the time that we were making a bit of a financial mess, and now we're doing our best to clean it up. Top Texas utility regulator caught, promising to protect investors over consumers. Oops. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Scientists have recently confirmed that the Earth has a hidden lair and no one knows exactly what it is please be nougat please be nougat please be nougat (laughs) delicious this is your green news report okay desi doyan we saw this coming uh, bad news for the southeast. It was a big rash of extreme weather this week. Wyoming got buried beneath a rare, record-breaking blizzard that trapped National Weather Service meteorologists in their offices for five days. And that dangerous outbreak of tornadoes pummeled the deep south on Wednesday, garnering a rare level five out of five warning mm. from the National Weather Service because of its exceptional intensity and geographical spread. As we go to air, the full extent of the damage is still unknown, but electricity has been knocked out to tens of thousands of customers from Arkansas to Alabama. That's because U.S. utilities say it's too costly to bury power lines like in Europe, so taxpayers get to pay for repeated damages. Europe can afford it, but America, we're just too poor. CBS meteorologist Jeff Berardelli reports that man-made global warming appears to be changing tornado risk in the U.S. Mm. Tornado numbers overall are not trending upward. However, the start of tornado season has moved up nearly two weeks since the 1970s. Major tornado outbreaks breaks are now more frequent. And as the West gets warmer and drier due to climate change, Tornado Alley is pushing further east, with tornado outbreak frequency decreasing in the Plains states and increasing in humid southern states, where population density is much higher. And the western U.S. is definitely getting drier. The U.S. Federal Drought Monitor reports that the current drought plaguing most of the West during 2020 has extended into 2021, and precipitation deficits have intensified, with mountain snowpacks well below average. The monitor says the current drought is the biggest in 20 years in terms of geographical area. Almost 80 percent of the western U.S. is now in drought, nearly half in extreme or exceptional drought. That's not good. And it's even worse in Europe. A new study suggests that a series of severe droughts and heat waves in Europe since 2014 are the most extreme in more than 2,000 years. Well, unlike the U.S., Europe can afford to do something about it. More fallout from the extreme winter deep freeze that knocked out Texas's deregulated electric grid last month. The chairman of the Texas Public Utility Commission, Arthur DeAndrea, has resigned after getting caught on tape promising big investor groups that he'd protect their massive windfall profits <laughs> by pressuring the state legislature to not reverse or reprice more than $16 billion in overcharges to consumers during storm outages. Really? You know, it's it's also become a political question here at the state. There's some very important people that do not want to reprice full stop and some very important people that do. But right now, it's just a contentious political issue. And, um, you know, I'm advising on it. And the best I can do is 
is you know, put the weight of the commission in favor of not repricing for the reasons I said. Oh, nice. So the Utility Commission is going to take the side of the wealthy investors and the corporations to hell with the Texans. Yep. And so far, the Republican-controlled state legislature is taking no action to protect Texas ratepayers. Oh, I'm sure they're just fine with what he did. I understand they have just a few days where they could pass a law to do something for Texans. But I guess they're in no rush to do that either. Nope. In other news, broadcast TV networks' coverage of climate change declined in 2020. A new analysis by Media Matters found that overall coverage of climate change on corporate broadcast TV nightly news and Sunday shows in 2020 dropped by more than 50 percent over the previous year. Now, that was primarily due to the coronavirus pandemic taking up a lot of airtime. But it was also the lowest amount of coverage of climate since 2016, even though 2020 shattered the record for the the highest number of billion-dollar extreme weather disasters in the U.S. Well, they were busy covering that other force of nature, the one who we voted out last November. Finally, some good-ish news. It appears that three last-minute Trump administration rollbacks of pollution rules won't go into effect because of the violent insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Hard copy versions of the rollbacks, required by law before a rule can take effect, were apparently destroyed when the mob (laughs) ransacked the Senate parliamentarian's office. So sad. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. When Johnny comes marching home again, hurrah, hurrah, <laughs> we'll give him a hearty welcome then, hurrah, hurrah, the men will cheer oh, and the yeah. boys will shout, the ladies yeah. they will all yeah, they're also they're all heroes, aren't they? <laughs> well, heroes in their own minds. <laughs> in their own minds, destroying their own president's policies. Anyway, thank you very much, Desi Toyin. Yep. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. It is always an honor. If you miss any portion of today's show or any other that we have done for many, many years now, <laughs> you can download them all for free at bradblog.com. That is thanks to those of you who support our work, and we can't thank you enough by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. I might even reply. And uh, follow me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Bradblog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh,